Magnus Franson of Cat Rapes Dog for joining us today. We are recording this interview in December of the year 2011. Magnus, hello. Hi. I want to talk to you about the origins of Cat Rapes Dog, what your mindset was at the outset, where it's progressed up until modern day, and what you think of the future. So first, tell me about the Magnus of the time period about one month before the birth of Cat Rapes Dog. How old were you? The birth of Cat Rapes Dog, well, probably around 20, I would guess. Uh, I don't remember exactly what year we invented the name, but I think it would be like 85, 84, possibly. What was your hairstyle like back then? If I remember correctly, it wasn't... Uh, <laughs> I would go around in that today, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to dye my hair, so I but I didn't have enough money, so it's not like we went to a hairdresser or anything. Uh, <laughs> so I did myself, and I think it was sort of stripes with really bad blonde, really bad <laughs> blonde, and also some strange black color. And I guess it didn't look too bad in the beginning, but then it sort of grew, the hair grew, and it sort of started to look a bit silly, I think, like more like a badger. <laughs> And we also have this uh, thing that we had shaving foam in, in the hair. I don't know if you had that in in, the, in America. I bought a lot of shaving foam. I, I hardly had any beard or uh, growth in my face at that time, I think. But uh, as I said, in, in the morning, each time I went to school, I used to sort of make sure that my hair, hair stood uh, right up and I used the shaving foam for that. And it had this special smell. I can still, if I concentrate, I can still smell the smell of that typical brand of shaving foam. <laughs> That's silly. That is, that is funny. How were you dressing at that point? Was it a new wave dress? Was it a, a punk dress? How would you describe uh, it? I think I, I missed out on the new wave and also the punk. So that was into the gothic I think like the cure, you may, you know, the the dark oh, yeah. post punk era. Yeah, it was forbidden to have jeans. You, that was a no no. So you have to ha try to find some other type of trousers. Uh, often some second hand, maybe military trousers that were dyed black, and also the the, the shirt dyed black. Also, I think it was some strange second hand thing. And it's all a bit baggy. I think it was not tight, tight fit. It was baggy fit. That's back in 85, I think that's, that was the, the fashion. Now, the other founding member was Joel Rydstrom. How did you meet? Yeah, we, we, we grew up in the same small village in, in the southern parts of Sweden. He was one year older than me, so we didn't go to the same, we weren't in the same class. But we didn't really meet until uh, we were like 16 or 17. Uh, and he saw that I had bought the, the new order 12-inch uh, Blue Monday. 
and it's all and he really liked to borrow that because the, I remember that at the same time he had bought this album with Wishbone Ash <laughs> and that was really not at all the same type of music and I wonder what <laughs> so I think he, he longed for something else but he didn't really know what it was how did you go from that to making music uh, yeah that's it took maybe a year or so and then we we sort of started off with the New Order and Cure and Cabaret Voltaire and stuff like that but we soon moved into bands like Fides, Swans and also Einstutz and the Neubauten who um, they were not really keen it wasn't obvious that they knew how to play <laughs> <laughs> so we thought hey we could do something as well we can just bang on metal things and possibly use some samples or, or whatever to make to make it sound cool and then we could have these gruesome lyrics like the swans had and and then it would sort of be a complete act now i thought i heard you say once that you your first experiment with making music with joel was in a in an empty factory yeah it was it was like that that's Actually, not a lie, even though it, it could be a lie right now when I'm telling it. But, uh, maybe we've we'll told it so many times that, it's, that it's, uh, it has become a truth. Anyway, that's, that's how I remember it nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I think his dad had the, the keys into this uh, factory. And uh, yeah, we found a lot of stuff to, to beat on. And also we had this tape recorder where we had uh, recorded a part of one of the feeder songs. And I don't remember which one. I think it's on the it's a 12 inch where he calls himself Fetus Art Terrorism, uh, Calamity Clash or something. It's a long, uh, it's a, like a drum machine solo and there were a lot of things going on. And we thought we could just rip that off and just add our own bits and pieces to that. But it was <laughs> terribly. <laughs> it was sort of really out of time and in that big uh, building it was a lot of echoes and it was hard to sort of know what was how we were supposed to to add our things <laughs> to make it sound good and we also experimented with with midi we had borrowed this keyboard and uh, i think there was some sort of sequencer on board and no it, there was no sequence on the keyboard but i had bought my roland tr505 the first digital drum machine and i could make the different pads send MIDI signals. It was actually a drum pattern, but I could use it to, to trigger the, the notes on that keyboard. So we got a pretty groovy sequencing uh, thing going, and we sort of banged a lot of oil, uh, oil drums and things to that. And uh, I think that became our first cassette, uh, and that should have been 85 or 86, something like that. Now, I'm curious about that uh, with cassette culture, because part of the whole do-it-yourself of that was born out of punk, you know, there were a lot of cassette labels and things like that. Your first uh, cassette was released through what became Energy Records. How was music promoted back then? Yeah, everything sort of happened without us really knowing or caring. We did two cassettes and then we sort of got in contact with what later became Energy Records. That, that, those were guys who only lived like 40 kilometers from where we grew up. I don't remember how we met them though, so I can't tell you. I think we just sent them a tape and it's not like today when everybody's doing music. I think there were, at least in Sweden, bands doing uh, music of that type. It, we were like one, two or maybe three bands in the whole Sweden. So it's like they had to give, <laughs> they had to release whatever they could find. Um, so the third cassette is really just songs we recorded in my, uh, in my room at my parents. 
with uh, like a mixer in a shoebox because they had all those wires sticking out of it and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't so but anyway so we, we had two cassette tapes and we were recording over the background of the previous one and adding vocals and whatever you know, synthesizer parts it's not that bad actually the, the, the third tape and then the third tape was released by sort of pre-energy records and then we just went on to, on recording in a real studio eight track mind you wow so, yeah <laughs> How, how did you adjust to that? Uh, it was really hard. It's like, what, could we actually record different things on different channels? It was amazing. And he actually had a, a bona fide sampler. It was a Roland S10. I, re, I remember it to the day. Uh, with those tiny discs, you could have one, one sound on, on each disc. Pre we had this sort of, a, it was a toy called the Casio SK1. You could sample one second in really bad quality, but anyway, that was how we did it. <clears throat> so it was really a professional studio. Yeah, amazing. You started to use a lot of samples at that point. You were uh, mostly synths, and you were you you did a lot of samples. How did you select those samples that you used? The thing where where you sort of recorded movies and also radio broadcasts or whatever. I got, of course, we got that idea from Cabaret Voltaire. I think uh, they did a lot of those things. So um, often when I watch TV, I could sort of record whatever what was on, often a film or something, on, on, on the video. And then I sort of went back and stopped and recorded bits and pieces of, of the audio from the film or the TV show onto a cassette tape. I saved cassette tapes with sort of a lot of cut-ups and things. I still have those tapes in my drawer. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was basically the, the movies we, we rented, or it was on TV or something. Of course, we were into cyber, uh, like every, everybody back in like 89, 90. You know, the techno <laughs> just starting off, and also the, those cyber movies. And, all, and that, what's the name of that author? William Gibson, who wrote those cyber novels. <laughs> It was, you should have those black coats, uh, a lot of blue light, smoke, chains hanging from the ceiling, big fan <laughs> moving slowly, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh yeah, we were all there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you sampled Robocop, you sampled um, Blade Runner. Yeah, Alien, uh, and also that, at the, the Abyss. Basically any big uh, Hollywood production that spent a lot of money on the sound. <laughs> then we could sort of steal the sound effects. I think the, there are a number of those on that Bandside Beats uh, uh, EP or whatever it was. It's a huge amount of samples on that, I think. And we sort of, I just went through all my tapes and used what I haven't used before. So it's like, yeah, we can put that in as well. It's, it's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a lot of sound effects also? I, I guess in the past I mostly heard the, the vocals and things like that, but I guess... Well, yeah, it's a lot of sound effects as well. Uh, that would have been impossible today, you know, with uh, uh, copyrights and things. <laughs> Nobody mind in the past about that. We could... I think when we did the cover of uh, Iron Man, the Black Sabbath cover, who's, uh, that song is on the back of one of the early 12 inches. I don't think we even mentioned that it was written by Black Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, we forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> so you figured you were able to stay under the radar to a large extent? Yeah, and uh, it's a funny thing about the, the first album. And this is really silly. That's it. Uh, we recorded that in 89, and I think that's when... 
the uh, Iranian government had this fatwa on uh, Salman Rushdie, and we also wanted that, so that's why we mixed uh, uh, on the cover of Maximum Overdrive. Uh, I think it's the inner sleeve, so to speak. We mixed porn ads with copies from the Quran, and in, in a desperate attempt to also get one of those fatwas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at that right now. I guess, uh, yeah, I see that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, and uh, a bit naive as well, I think. <laughs> just, just in case uh, the Ayatollah was listening to some some cyber industrial music, and yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Now, at the beginning, I'm also looking at some of some of the earlier material, and there was this theme of of car crashes. You have car crashes on some EP covers, the back of. The back of God Guns and Gasoline has some photos of engines. Yep. You have the songs on Maximum Overdrive, you know, about speeding Jesus and Motorhead, for example, or yeah. people driving fast and crashing. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, I thought we were wanted to be sort of a cool rock band, and that's mostly Joel, I think. He, was, he, he really liked cars, and he always bought those car magazines, and he went through the car ads, really liked cars. And we thought that was very American also, you know, liking cars, and we wanted to be like this cool American band. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we sort of stuck on this exploding cars. We were also influenced with a really a Swedish band that is, nobody knows of that anymore, but they had this really nice cassette. It was for, it sort of in a package like a TV dinner, and they, and they sold it over there. They had an ad in one of those music magazines. And th they were called Car Skid and Crash, and we thought that was a really cool name. That's why Cat Rape Dog is also like almost in that built in that in that manner, in like a silly way. And also we we liked exploding cars, so that's why. I think <laughs> it's hard to tell nowadays. I'm making this up, but it's it's a plausible story. <laughs> yes, it is. What, what were what were your early shows like? Very unrehearsed, but I don't think people really cared a lot back in those days. I remember the first, actually, the very first show was in, in the town where Joel lived and where we sort of had this rehearsing room. He had sort of a binder in front of him with the lyrics, and he was standing there reading them from the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> he was not moving at all. We had those sequences hooked up, and we were running the sequences in real time. So everything was in real time, so we were, nothing was sort of on tape. And uh, we also had two TV sets running uh, various things we had uh, recorded on the videotape, different movies, a lot of exploding cars. <laughs> and the thing is, Joel had bought this nice VCR which had effects in it, so you can add solarizing and things like that. And that looked so 80s and so cool. <laughs> and that was on every, every clip. <laughs> And it was sort of a festival, and all the other bands were heavy metal bands. And then we were, <laughs> and then the metal kids sort of left uh, the premises and went to buy beer or something. <laughs> Just a few hippies in the front. <laughs> and I think they were still, they uh, they were sort of open-minded, and they thought it was kind of cool. And at least we at least we were different from the other bands. And as you became more popular and more people had heard your music, did you find that the audience changed? Yeah, uh, especially we went to, already the first day we went to both Holland and Germany, and that was a different crowd, especially in Germany, you know, they, they still look the same. Black, 
always wears dressed in black and those puffy shirts, more or less. I think they they they, they like this romantic style, you know, the the in nineteenth century century Germany you have these these poets and the and the art and it's very romantic and it's very angst and yeah, that type of thing. I think they call him Gruftis or something, if they still use the term in Germany. And it's, it was really big, and it still was the last time I remember being in Leipzig, which is sort of a big town, it, it used to be in East Germany. We were there like five years ago, could be, and they have this festival of darkness, <laughs> which is, you would think that would be a really narrow festival and not attract that much people, but it was like you would have the most popular concert, it was like Springsteen or whatever, it's pe- everywhere, everywhere. People look like that. They have these top hats and canes, dressed up like it was the, uh, the 19th century, mixed with those with that gothic outfit and almost vampire-like things. If you went in the city center, went past where uh, sort of a where as a supermarket or sort of a, um, a fashion store, they would have changed what they were showing in the in the windows. The showroom dummies were dressed up <laughs> in those clothes as well. Which is well, you wouldn't expect that in Sweden or any other country. I think <laughs> that's weird. And I think it's weird. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still the same. talk about some of the look and the feel of things your moose hair underwear video yeah. uh, you definitely had some uh, some interesting outfits for yeah. that yeah very cyber I think I don't know how we ended up doing that movie we somehow got in contact with people who studied at the Stockholm film school so that the, it was made by students who were doing that for free because they thought it was it was fun all the makeup things and and also the actual filming and directing. Annalie had a pipe up her nose? Yeah. Uh, and that, that chainsaw with sort of veins on it and whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's on YouTube, so I think you could, if you if you want to, I think you can go and watch it. Oh, well, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the <laughs> show notes for this, so yeah. everybody listening can yeah, please go take a look at that. <laughs> Now, you, you've always been a, a very silly band. You, you know, we mentioned Moosehair Underwear as a song title, but songs like uh, Jesus Swallows or Trojan Whores, and the, really the whole God, Guns, and Gasoline album, you have a sense of humor. 
Yes, and it's. Um, I think we. I, I don't even remember trying to be a serious band. Actually, it was. We were always fooling around, and it, also that's the time when everybody was supposed to be ironic. We really embraced that. We never spoke a serious word for 10, 15 years. <laughs> it was always. Uh, we were we were trying to be as rude as possible to people, and it was. Well, it was fine as long as you sort of were with the crowd who were sort of used to that way to speak. But I couldn't separate that, that from normal people. So I, I think I really offended a lot of people back then because I sort of, I could say whatever I want and just be provocative and just take the opposite opinion of whatever they said and just be really bloody <laughs> minded about it. And if somebody was trying to be serious, I was always just adding or making it sound in a way so they would, in the beginning, think that we were having a serious conversation, but we were not, because in the end it was always, it, it ended up in a deranged conversation. Well, we, we, of course we tried to be funny and ironic, but looking back at that nowadays, if I go back and sort of look at what we read and what we said in interviews, I think it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I think we were still really full of ourselves, even though we were sort of, we thought we were, yeah, we are really ironic and we have this distance but I think we were not really <laughs> I've heard you say that you, you you've had some regrets about using the R word in your in your band name oh yeah uh, yeah because it, it, it became apparent that um, as I grew up because I was really young even though I was like 23 when we had this first album but not very mature uh, I got the idea that people could misinterpret things and and they could sort of have ideas of what we were without knowing or listening because they could just read the titles or the lyrics or the band name and think they knew what it was all about. In the beginning we didn't really care but then after a while I think we didn't want to be seen as fascist or racist or uh, misogynists or whatever. Now, how much of that is, you had some, some lineup changes at about that time, too, in the band. Uh, you're left, uh, you've, got, you've got guitarists, you're, you're playing bass now. Do you think that the, the bringing in different viewpoints and sensibilities changed things also? Yeah, I think definitely. Anneli made a, a huge difference, I think, because she was actually a musician. She knew things <laughs> about chords. <laughs> And um, we didn't know anything, and, what, and of course we learned uh, over the years. And then um, Jonas got along in '94, got with a, with a band in '94, and he was he came along on one of those festival gig, gigs in Sweden. And he was he grew up with Nirvana and was really into that type of, of grunge, and that also had an impact, I think. He is a bit younger, isn't he? Yeah, he's like ten years younger than me. When we started to try to make music before we did any cassettes or like that, we really wanted to be able to play guitars, but we didn't think we could. We didn't see how it was possible to learn to play the guitar at all. <laughs> and that would, anyway, take too long, so we didn't really have the time for that. So I think we were already in the um, in the second album, The Gavigans and Gasoline, we added guitars to the Madman track, which was on the cassette without, there were no guitars on the cassette. 
because we when we were at the studio in a small studio in the in the countryside in Sweden uh, there was this guy who came there and we wanted him to play guitar and we I know I remember we wanted him to play like a speed metal guitarist but he was sort of a, a blues rock guitarist so he didn't really have a clue of what we wanted it to sound like and we couldn't explain what he should do it's, it's like you 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 have that's a completely different way of, of playing if you sort of look at how the, like the metal bands play nowadays and it didn't really sound like we wanted it to so it's like a strange guitar track on, on the madman on the Gargan's gasoline album it, i don't think it's that good really but we <laughs> still we wanted guitars and we got guitars <laughs> Yeah, you, you definitely did, especially in Moose Hair Underwear was you know, where, where you heard a lot of that. Yeah, and that was when Jonas was sort of... I remember we, we recorded him playing the chords, and then we separated the chords out on the keyboard, uh, so it was sampled. Yeah, I think the ministry did that as well in, in, back in those days, so we were, of course, influenced with that uh, ministry album, which I think is called The Land of Rape and Honey. And the one after that, The Mind is a Terrible Thing Place. Those two albums with oh yeah this is why did then we we were so certain that yeah we should definitely get guitars on board. Now since you made the change from being a uh, a, a synth and sampler band to being more of a, a rock band, do you find that the audience has changed some too, or do you still have a lot of the same the same industrial fans from the early days? I think it, it's more or less the same fans that started uh, sort of that stayed with us from the early albums I think we had already in the beginning we had a few people who liked punk and, and also heavy metal in the audience because the shows were not like the uh, the albums I think they were much rawer in a way the recording sounds very clean and tidy I think in comparison to how we sounded live so I think okay. we were, we got this good reputation that we were a good live band. And that's when it was just the three of you? Even before Anneli was in, in the band, when it was just me and Joel. Even it, it, that was before we had the guitars or, or everything, because, I don't know, I think we... Uh, you know, the songs are fast and it's sort of easy to get to really get wild on stage or whatever. And we have those, the blood and the flower. In the oh, really? Yeah. Um, Tell me about the blood and the flower. Yeah, I think back then I worked at the lab, a uh, hospital lab, and I, I was accustomed to with, to take blood samples from people. So I used I, I took a few tubes with me and also one of those syringes. <laughs> then I took some of Joel's blood. He, he had no problem with that. Uh, it was actually done in a bathroom with other people there. I don't know what, what they think we were doing. But we were not shooting up, it was sort of pouring, the, it was running, <laughs> we were <laughs> extracting blood. <laughs> and in, the, in that tube there's sort of a liquid that stops the blood from clotting. So we, then we can open that tube and pour it over Ewan's face and then we added flour all over the jacket. So yeah, it looked pretty gruesome and nobody else had that particular way of dressing up. <laughs> <laughs> Now, how do you think that would fly these days? Um, I still think you can do it. I, don't, I haven't seen anything quite like that. We have those masks and everything, but actually claiming that this is fresh blood taken right now from me. That's, yeah, it's, I think there are some suicide metal bands or something that cut themselves on stage. And so there are obviously there are scenes that do that. 
but playing more or less like a mainstream electronic act with sort of or electropunk act, I think that would be a really different thing. Let's see. Now you did a festival a while back where it was all about the old days, and you had to you had to go shop for a replacement for the synthesizer that you used to use in the old days. Yeah, we were trying to recreate the the old tracks because we had uh, we had saved nothing uh, of the MIDI files or the early samples we used. Nothing left. And we didn't even think about that. Why should we keep all of that stuff? We just bought new equipment and forgot about the the songs we did last year because oh yeah we had them then we had this we, 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 when we recorded a, a, an album we also did the backtracks on, on, on the DAT we were happy with that well, of course 10 years later you, you listen to those DAT tapes and um, uh, the sound is not that good I think so we we like to redo it we, we I think we found the most of the sounds on the internet uh, for, for the ESQ1 the, that was sort of the main synthesizer back then we used on a lot of songs um, but I didn't have the actual synthesizer, which was a problem. And they, they still haven't done a, a plug-in for the Ansonic. Uh, what I'm, uh, they had done it for all other types of synthesizers except that one, uh, which is a shame. It has a hybrid sound. It's sort of a mixture with, between analog and digital. Uh, anyway, um, a friend of mine found it for it's a really cheap price, so I got it. and. I don't use that keyboard for anything else than for live live shows. So I think it's it feels good to get it back, and it has this choir sound, which nothing else, no other instrument has that. And I think it's on uh, like every second song on the first two albums. <laughs> so it's really important to get the, that choir sound right. I, I see on the the Cat Rapes Dog blog on your website, the most recent post is over a year old. Uh, what's what's Cat Rape Song up to now? Yeah, um, time sort of <laughs> seems to be slipping away. With the last album we did was in '99. Now we toured, uh, sort of, or went. At least we played a lot of festivals uh, up till about 2005, I think. But I've been working on new songs now for yeah a number of years, really. I think we recorded the vocals from really in just somebody's living room and so it's not sort of the best vocals but it's still you can still use them so and they also sort of make it, it since I can't go back and re-record it often that also is not so good as the first take because I didn't really care if it sort of was distorted or if they sang exactly how they should have if they actually sang the lyrics as they're supposed to so it's a restriction. I think nowadays when you have those opportunities and all the possibilities with modern recording and uh, arranging software, I think it's important to get some sort of restriction. Otherwise, you sort of lose yourself in all the possibilities. So I'm restricted to the kind of crappy uh, vocal parts. <laughs> so I've been arranging and then I sort of go with, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and I've rearranged the songs again. And now finally I think I have eight songs which sound, which th I think this is the essence of what we were about for 15 years. It's like when you do a, a, a stew or a casserole, we really need to boil it for two or three hours to get all the flavors right. This is what I sort of distilled the individual Catfish Dog parts 
down to something which we should have done if we really cared when we recorded things in the 90s or if we had had uh, absolute control this is I think how it's supposed to be it's sort of a mixture of it's not complete it's not like it's not rock and roll like the last album the people as prey album and uh, and it's not sort of techno like the in the mid 90s and it's not EBMS in the beginning <clears throat> it's sort of a, a mixture and mismatch of everything I tried to do a lot of other styles in between a lot of the early years of this millennium I experimented with sort of every weird type I could make up because it's possible with a if you do it in the computer uh, and I played it to the other guys and they were yeah this is really crazy there's no, this is no way we're going to accept this. So I sort of skipped <laughs> trying to be as weird as possible because that's sort of like, let's see how, I just wanted to do weird things. Uh, and sort of went back to, so, okay, so let's see if, if I want to do things that I really like, which is a different thing. What do I think people would like to hear if they would all of a sudden discover a new CD album 10 years after, well, now it's even more than 10 years, it's 12 years after the last one. So it's also a very pop, I think it would be really popular also, if people would, I think, enjoy it. It's not like, oh, what they, did they do now, have they turned techno or uh, like new metal or, or something like that. I think we are true to ourselves in a way. It's not like I'm, I'm sort of satisfied. I don't have the drive to really go through the works to, to sort of release it or promote it or go on tour or ever, anything like that. It feels like, yeah, I'm happy with it. I could just put it up on the internet and people can download it. I don't re even care about the money or anything else. So, but I think we have to discuss that. Uh, the other guys, at least the two, uh, John and Jonas, have their own bands. Uh, so I think uh, Jonas taken one of my unpublished lyrics, which I actually wrote in Swedish, and he's using that for a new song, and I've done some remixes for Jonas' band, and he's sent me another one uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and also done a couple of remixes for German acts. And I try to make them sound as if they were Catrips dog songs. So I think, um, I think I, I, it's really hard for me to do anything else because I think when I, even though I try to do weird things, it ended up in sort of in the same universe as the other songs. But people perhaps wouldn't see it the, the same way as I would. So, uh, but still, they. they uh, it, the, the songs are fast and uh, there's a lot of electronics but also a lot of distorted bass and things. I'm really into the sound of drums and bass uh, like in the new wave years, the, the years around 79, 80 and 81. The bands uh, like uh, Gang of Four have this really nice bass sound and also I think the way the early Devo sounded and also early New Order and Joy Division. Uh, when you think about the things that inspired that type of music and the things that inspired you, would you say there's there's much crossover, or do you think? And when what's more, do you think something like that could happen today, or do you think that that's all part of a, a lost era? You mean when we started, or uh, a little bit of both? Uh, I guess multiple questions wrapped up into one. There, uh, what do you think inspired those bands? How did how did that same thing inspire you, oh. and how does it today? Yeah. I think the, the, the sort of the new wave years, years are sort of 
the most uh, inventive years. I think a lot of acts that became really bad in the 80s. We had Eurythmics, Simple Minds, uh, <laughs> Ultravox. They had a couple of years when they were really good. The first Eurythmics album, I think, is, is brilliant. And also uh, Simple Minds, when they did this uh, Sons of Fascination around those. I think it's all, if you go back, all the albums released in 81 are really fabulous. <laughs> and also 80 and possibly, possibly 79. But a lot of the bands who were good in 81 started to really suck in 82. And by the time of 83 and 84 came, they were sort of this arena type of music, which was all this strange, non-funky way of playing funk music and uh, soul. So I thought, uh, this is typical for that period, which is, I think it might, might have been sort of fascinating at the time, but that really sucks. I can't stand it when I go back and listen to that, those songs from that, those years. But anyway, the, the, the new wave, I think, is interesting because we had, had a lot of we had the disco and then the, there was a punk scene sort of at the same time and they sort of t took the disco beat and added the, the punk way of doing songs which is sort of, it doesn't have to be perfect you can hear that it's not perfectly in time with the, with the drums but it's sort of in, in an endearing way it, it has a certain charm it's also very simple and the songs are not too long or not too complicated I think as I get older, I sort of appreciate that way of making music more and more. I'm not into sort of making these elaborate arrangements. We're just adding more and more sounds, which is so easy to do nowadays. What do you think would inspire you these days? You've said in the past that modern music needs a, a reset like punk, like we were just saying. Do you think that uh, if the right sound came along that you might be inspired once more, or where do you think that is? I think it's it's not at all like that anymore. I think it stopped after after the grunge and the techno, and also perhaps a bit all of those metal things that came in death metal and um, doom metal, black metal or whatever metal. After that came, uh, it all became sort of it, you could listen to all types of music, and it was like, wasn't like before when it was punk came and then it was uh, sort of the the synth pop thing and then this 80s metal thing. That those were really wide things that sort of affected a lot of people. Now we have all different types of music and you can sort of choose what you want. I think it's easier to be influenced today with the, with music. And if you sort of just, if you go into iTunes, for example, and you, you search for a band that you know, you can always see, uh, so people who also brought this music also listen to this. And you can find, oh, what's, this is another band. And you okay, this is not too bad. And you can find music much easier because back then you had to go to the record stores and yeah, you had to find the, the records you thought were good and then you had to stand there and sort of skip through the, all the songs. It took forever. You had to some you had had to talk to other people and, and within your group you had you knew certain types of bands and her and uh, new bands and then you. If you went to a concert to see a, a, a band and you met with other people who in turn said, yeah, have you heard this band? And then you had it because it wasn't so easy to, to know things back then. Well, also you, you lived in a, you know, you weren't in a, a, a city in Sweden. You were sort of you're in the middle of the country. Yeah. So we had, I had to re read magazines and sort of, oh, I remember reading uh, this, there was this big music magazine in Sweden back in those days. 
and they had this column where they talked about new music, which was really, really new alternative music, was barely out on a, on a label at all. Perhaps just the cassette sent to the, the, the editor or whatever. And I remember thinking, yeah, I, want, I wish I could go and find these records. But it was impossible, of course. <laughs> and but I think the, the funny thing is now, if I search on the internet for a lot of those bands which I never hardly heard a song of, I just thought, yeah, this, this band is probably really cool. People have uh, digitized the albums and put them up on, on a blog or whatever. And they are still there because they, they don't have a copyright because those were released in, in like 20 years ago and they haven't been released since. So I was really happy finding all those albums that I wanted to hear. Not all of them, but the, the, the albums I remember wanting to hear, I could actually find and download. And that was sort of, yeah, finally, 30 years later. <laughs> and were they any good? That's the question. Yeah, that was. some of them were not so good, but actually a few of them were surprisingly good. And I think, yeah, this is... And they sound fresh. Uh, uh, it's like some of them could sort of easily have been recorded today. But of course, in a, a bit better production, probably. But the way they did it, it's so much easier today to find to find music. But also, you, it's too much, so you you be you are easily overwhelmed. I think. What are you listening to today? I sort of often put my iPod on repeat or, or on random. So it can play anything from, I don't know, the, six, the French 60s songs, which I really like, up, mm, all through all the eras, and up to, um, I don't know, the latest ones. All of a sudden, it's, I think there are a couple of nice Swedish acts. Uh, I don't remember the names, but they are really sort of young people who are making interesting music. What, what's the style, would you say? I think they, it's often a mix of, it's not a style which you, sort of, you can easily label. It's sort of a mixture of, of things. I think that's sort of the most interesting music. When it's not, when it's sort of just music and just somebody who, I like to do music and I like to do this song and I don't really care about if it's a pop song or if it's a, a heavy metal song or, or whatever. It's just that they take whatever instruments they have and they sort of make new, sort of a new new way of making music. I think because it's it's not easy to be innovative nowadays. It's like yeah, we heard most of it now, and it's hard to shock as well. You know, there's a lot of electronic acts where, where really strange. This was the called dubstep. I think it's sort of the latest craze in electronic that I've seen, which is really strange electronic sounds and sort of a weird reggae groove all of a sudden. So the electronic thing, electronic sounding things, I think that is that has evolved a lot, a lot since the early 90s, because now you can sort of process sounds in a way that was unthought of yeah, back in those days. So that's of course interesting. I'm not that interested in making sort of new sounds or creating the sounds from scratch. So often when I, I just skip through the, the default settings or a, if you go through a synthesizer plugin or whatever, and I just do a few tweaks on that sort of the bass sound that I like. So for me, it's more finding the groove. So it, you have to make the, the, the rhythm and the bass go together, and that's 
I think that's the roots. Why I like the new wave style, it's because it's a new wave song. It's, you get the bass and the drums, and you got this uh, one. Maybe it's a guitar playing it like a, a rhythm guitar. It's not. It's not much to it. It's also back uh, in the early 90s and also throughout the, the 90s. It was the, the the sort of the harshest music was made with guitars. It was sort of yeah, this is really heavy and cool. But I think now there are also equally fierce acts using pure electronics. So it's not, it's, there's no really a division anymore with sort of what is metal and what is electronic. I, it, it started to to fall apart even in the in the early 90s with ministry and things like that. But I guess for people growing up today, I, if they understood that there were this sort of the opposite, you were either a metal head or a like you know, a synth pop guy in the eighties. That's probably really, really weird. <laughs> well, that is true, but at the same time, you were uh, Cat Rape Song was one of the bands that more bridged that. While while the other electronic bands were sterile, you folks were were aggressive and fast. Yeah, and that was because we wanted to be a punk band, but we couldn't play guitar. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I I really appreciate the the time you you spent today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did too. Yeah, and it turned out to be uh, very... I think it was all truths and no lies at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. so okay. I'm so accustomed to being a, a, this serious job person now. So I'm not, I'm not funny anymore. Well, how, how do you describe your day? Well, I mean, what, what's a typical day for you if it's not electronics and dressing up like a, like a Hellraiser or Borg type uh, mix? What do you do? Well, I, I try to replace body parts with cybernetic <laughs> devices. With the lab in your basement? Yeah. So I collect body parts and <laughs> try to uh, reconstruct them using electronics and um, mechanics. Was there anything you'd like to say in Swedish to our Swedish listeners that I won't understand? No, I don't know how it's tricky to have a little bit of a Han som intervjuar mig, han är helt jävla dum i huvudet. <coughs> ja, men det är så det Man får ju stå ut. Ja, det är det. Jag har derogatory comments about you, of course. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate that. Let's stay true to my, to, to my roots. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, hey, thank you very much. And uh, we'll... Uh... I hope we hear more from you soon. Do you think you'll ever put some of those uh, those tracks you're working on up somewhere where the where the public can get to them? Yeah, you can always hope. Thank you for listening to Decaying Structure, the podcast covering the rise and fall of industrial culture. You can listen to more at decayingstructure.com. Now, the fact that you're listening to this podcast indicates that you have an interest in industrial culture, the rise, the fall, everything in between. What we'd like you to do is to talk to other people who are interested in industrial culture. Talk to people, record those interviews, and send them here. We'd like to play them. Also, one of the recurring segments is the Outrageous Lie of the Week. We'll have one shortly. What this is, is a totally fabricated string of nonsense that we'd like you to send in. If you don't want to jump right in with a full interview, the Outrageous Lie of the Week is a really good chance to get your feet wet there. So go on over to www.decayingstructure.com, find out how to submit your information, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much for listening. 
Hello, this is Leif Hunneman of the bands Hexdump and State Vector Collapse. The late industrial musicians John Balance and Peter Christofferson of the band Coil owned one of the world's largest collections of ceramic elephant ballerina figurines. This collection bought them great joy and included figurines bequeathed to them by the Dalai Lama, Vaclav Havel, and Margaret Thatcher. Thank you for your attention. Please visit www.hexdump.us for further instruction. Okay, it's like food. It's like food. It's like food. It's like food.